This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Welcome to the Well Season Librarian Podcast. I'm your host, Dean Jones. I'm so happy uh, to be able to introduce my guest to you today. I had a very lovely time talking to her and um, just, you know, having a wonderful chat. I felt like I was talking to an old friend. Today I'm speaking with Natalie Thompson, who is a professional food stylist, recipe writer, and private chef based in London and Buckinghamshire. Now, um, if you've not um, recognized the name right off the bat, you've definitely seen her work. As a stylist and writer, Natalie has worked with many esteemed clients, including the Great British Bake Off and Joe Vick's Cookbooks. Natalie began her culinary career as an onset caterer for films and television productions, and she now works from her home in Buckinghamshire as a private chef for local families, providing drop-off meals and catering for a range of events, both large and small. Natalie has been styling and writing recipes since 2012, after completing a diploma in food and wine from Leia's Cookery School in London. Over the years, she has built a broad client base, working with UK magazines, publishers, advertisers, and film companies. Her recipes have been featured in cookbooks and magazines, and as of this release, Natalie has a new cookbook out of her own, The Grazing Table. It's a wonderful cookbook, and it's got some really, really inventive, fun, and just uh, creative uh, recipes for you to use. And if you're going to be having people over to your home this uh, holiday season, uh, you're going to definitely want this uh, book. And if you're going to be giving cookbooks away as gifts this holiday season, you're going to want to get this one and give it away because it's pretty, pretty awesome. Now I'm going to take you uh, with uh, great delight to my conversation with Natalie Thompson. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to the Well Seasoned Librarian Podcast. Today I'm speaking with author chef Natalie Thompson about her new book, The Grazing Table. Natalie, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Dean. Thank you so much for having me. Can we talk about where you're from and what your food influences are growing up? Yes, absolutely. So I'm from um, just outside of London in England. I've grown up always sort of in the suburbs just outside of London. And that has really sort of fueled my my love for food because we have we have fantastic food in the UK I know it gets a really really bad um reputation but actually the food especially around London is wonderful and I've always been sort of exposed to that so I don't someone is I'm happy to be corrected but I don't believe that there is a cuisine that you can't get in London so it's just so lovely growing up around all of that and not sort of being stuck with, with one type of food all the time. Um, and that's that's led and, and just sort of snowballed as I've grown up and just wanting to try more and more different things. I always like to disabuse people of the notion that British food is bad. I've never eaten so well 
as when I was in England. And I'm sure if I went back, it would be the same. So I've never, I've never, I, when people say that, I'm like, you don't know what you're talking about. Just stop. <laughs> I'm so pleased to hear that because actually, yeah, I think people just automatically assume it's bad, but everyone I've met that has, has come over from the States has always had wonderful experiences. Oh yeah. I mean, I have some of the best food of my life I've had in England. I just, lots of really great experiences there. Never a bad meal. Great. I'm very pleased to represent that for you. <laughs> How did your experiences as an onset caterer influence your approach to food? I want to talk about that part of your life a little bit um, when you were doing styling and recipe writing. Yes. So I studied at a cookery school in London from 2011 to 2012 called Leith's. And from there, I a lot of my other student, the other students I was with wanted to become chefs and go into Michelin star restaurants and that's sort of the training we were given but I always knew I wanted to be a stylist and and do things slightly differently and write recipes I was always very keen um when I was growing up to do something to do with media uh, maybe work in magazines or something so it was sort of that side and my first job out of cookery school was yes being the onset caterer for Nigel Slater um for one of his um, shows on the BBC and it was just such a wonderful experience the the training I had at cookery school was wonderful but then to get to use it in real life and cook for people and use all of that was so wonderful and also chefing can be quite hard especially when for when you're cooking with people and for people that really know what they're talking about so it was quite pressurized for me I put a lot of pressure on myself and that really helped because I had to do a lot of research and think I've really got to get this right. Um, and that's helped hugely with writing recipes because I always want to strive to be really good. I don't want the rest. I want the recipes to be good for everyone, but I want people that really, really know about food to make them and be like, yes, this is good. And I'm really pleased and appreciate the effort that has gone into this rather than just people that sort of might not have, um, one idea of one sort of recipe to another who would be just grateful of it anyway. I'm thrilled to have those people, but it's the people I, I always want to impress the people that know whether you're doing it right or not. <laughs> yeah. We've had some guests on um, that have been on the Great British Baking Show, or the Great British Bake Off, I'm sorry. And um, they've talked about the behind the scenes stuff. What were the challenges for you working on shows like that, that show and shows like that? Oh, it's, I see, well, there's, I don't think there's any challenges because they are so fun. They are such lovely projects to work on. Um, but as uh, when working in TV, you're counted normally as a home economist. And I really think that the home economist work, work more than anyone else. Yeah. So I remember one of the first days I did, we, our call time in the morning was 6 a.m. And I didn't leave until 11.30 a.m., uh, 11.30 p.m., Oh my God. And we didn't break in that time and we just work solidly through. But actually when you're doing such a lovely project and, and what I tell people all the time is I love my job so much. I don't care. It was great. I loved it. I used to, before I came to cookery school, I worked in finance and it was awful. So now I'm just so thrilled to have lovely work to do with people that are just happy to be there all the time. We've had some guests on that are uh, food stylists and do um, image work with food um, for, you know, for publication. 
What are some of your key considerations when styling food for cookbooks, magazines, and advertising? So that that's my sort of bread and butter is the food styling. Um, and I think it's, it's harder than it seems. I'm not trying to say it's in sort of neuroscience or anything, but to make things look incredibly natural and relaxed is I think quite a skill because often you can put something down and style a plate of food and it can look very forced. Um, I was never a fan at cookery school. I obviously we did it, but I was never a fan of those um, really minutely positioned plates of food that you would get in a Michelin star restaurant. I love the sort of um, home family cooking style. And actually that's what I really try and do with my food styling is try and make it look nice and relaxed and comfortable and as appetizing as possible um, and just having little tricks and and I lots of food stylists including myself have big kits of tweezers and tongs and little scissors and things just to sort of crimp everything um, so things do take longer and everyone says to me do all your dinners look lovely at home and I say absolutely not because at the end of the working day I just want to have toast and yeah. I'm not going to stop my toast um, so it's just having a little bit of, I think, pre-thought about it. And I think actually anyone can do that with their dinners or anything as well. Um, is just have a little think about what you want it to look like. Have you seen something on Instagram or something on Pinterest where you're thinking, oh, I'd really like my, my dish to look like that. How, what makes it appealing to me? What can, how can I make it look like that? Yeah, I've had two other guests on here that said exactly the same thing, that at the end of the day, after all day cooking, all they want to do is go and have toast for dinner. <laughs> it seems to be a theme. Ramen or anything like that. I just don't <laughs> want to have to be fiddling away with anything. Any tips for those of us? I, I have a curse that everything I photograph food-wise for Instagram looks like the most nasty, stodgy, brown, beige stuff in the whole world. <laughs> and how, oh. how do you make something that doesn't look appealing look appealing? <laughs> Oh, well, it's so hard because actually so much of food styling is is really faking it, actually. So um, one thing I find with with things like that, because I have those exact problems as well, is always adding some color in a garnish, a chopped herb or something like that, or like a little salad to go with it. Because I, all of the good food is brown, stodgy. It's delicious. But I yeah. do see your point. Um, yeah, always adding just a little sprinkle of herbs over, some cracked black pepper, just adding some sort of layers of interest there um, is always lovely. And one thing we, well, it isn't necessarily different at home. It depends what you have. But we rely on props when we do food styling as well and having beautiful napkins and a nice glass of wine and the bowls are beautiful and the cutlery is beautiful. And then that sort of it all layers on top of each other to make a really lovely shot. How has the food industry changed since you started working in it? I think it's changed quite a lot. Um, I always used to look at my grandmother's cookbooks from sort of the 70s and the 80s and food styling then was a, a completely different beast oh, um yeah. but from when I started sort of um 12 years ago things were slightly more structured I would say then there's a very much a sort of unkempt relaxed approach now where things look beautiful but there's like crumbs on the table and broken bread and food that has been partially tucked into when I started styling every plate was individual and formed whereas now everything's much looser I find um yeah. you'll see sort of drizzles of oil that are sort of quite messy and 
um, cracked black pepper that's gone onto the rim of the plate and onto the table. And um, I, I really love that because that's naturally, I, I call, I haven't coined this phrase, but I call it aspirational mess. Um, oh, yeah. And sort of those bits that make it look relaxed. Um, and obviously it's quite painstaking at work, trying to make it look relaxed like that. Um, but that's the style I'd say that we're in at the moment. And, and I really, really love that. I know that like there are a lot of people that are writing recipes these days and there's a lot of recipes online. And I think um, this, this, the curve of that, that we have of skill really, it can be apparent sometimes. I used to write recipes and I eventually gave up because I, I looked at it comparatively to some of the people that I was interviewing and I thought, wow, I'm really bad at this. And I think there is kind of, there's a skill set with it. What do you think, what advice do you give to people that might think they wanna write recipes? I think it's, you're so right, Dean. Actually, it's such a, the industry of, of food writing is very oversubscribed. There's lots of people wanting to do it. I think it, it really has to start from a basis of just really understanding food and understanding what works. So I would just, re I would recommend, uh, uh, and this is a lovely thing to do, but actually just do an awful lot of research, I would say, and get that knowledge, that base knowledge first. Um, and one thing I do, and my husband, it irritates him, but I'll always, when we're in restaurants, I ask how something's been made because I want to know. It tastes amazing. How does it taste amazing like that? And often people are so thrilled to share those things with you. And I find that with my friends as well. If they've made something incredible, I'm like, I, I need to know exactly how you've done this. Because I always used to feel a little bit of an imposter thinking, oh, I, I don't know how to cook everything. But then you realize no one knows how to cook everything. You are taking experience for, experiences from life and from other people all the time. And I think bringing that collection together is how you start to form lovely recipes and also not trying to do it too quickly. If you write a recipe and it's nice, but it's not quite there, do it again. Keep doing it until it until you get it right. And I think that's how you can also really have faith in your recipes because you're like, I really, really know that this is good because I've made it 12 times and I've made it perfect. And then it's it's such a sense of accomplishment, I think. You work, and in addition to all the other hats you wear, you work as a uh, private chef. Can you talk about that a little bit and some of the behind the scenes things that go on for your work as a private chef? Oh, it's it's so lovely and it's so nice to, as you say, wear so many different hats and, and do so many different things. I find private chefing wonderful, actually, because often the, the jobs that I do are often going into people's homes and seeing them with their family and cooking for them. And the behind the scenes, I'm I think I'm very lucky with the experiences I've had, because what I find mostly with people is they are thrilled to be fed. Oh, yeah. And they haven't had to do it and they don't have to do the washing up. I would be the same if if I had someone come into my home and cook for me. I'd be absolutely thrilled. Um, but it's just balance. Getting the portions right and the serving and the timings as well. The timings is the biggest thing. I don't think I've ever had. I don't think I've ever had a job, actually, where I've gone into someone's home and they haven't gone. Oh, can we just change dinner from seven to seven thirty? And you go, oh, yeah, OK, 
fine no problem <laughs> and your brain starts going and thinking okay so the salmon has to go in at this time and then I'll do the vegetables here and and everything has to shift along um and that's why I actually I get prepped as early as I can with everything so I can sort of I'd rather be there just sort of twiddling my fingers and waiting um than, than feeling stressed out um but but it's always lovely it's just it's a lot of hard work, but it's incredibly rewarding because people are always ever so grateful. Can you talk about, uh, can you dish on some of the dishes you've created? <laughs> um, well, actually, I, I always offer people a sort of a huge menu to pick from because I get very nervous. And, and I know I can cook, but I always get very nervous offering people food because I'm like, oh God, what if they don't like it? What if that's not their preference? And then I feel like, like if they've picked um something off a menu then I'm like if you don't like it then that's on you that's not on me yeah um, pretty much <laughs> yeah so I always it depends because actually a lot of work I did I did a lot of um what we would call in the UK a hen do but I suppose a bachelorette party I oh yeah yeah those in the summer with people that sort of hire out big lovely country houses and doing things like that um so I did lots of lovely barbecues and actually what I find works brilliantly is um you guys must be aware of Ottolenghi, the chef, Yotam Ottolenghi. Oh yeah, oh yeah. He's, I do so many of his recipes because they are just wonderful. And I find my my style, as I said before, is big sort of family sharing, everything in the middle of the table, big piles of beautiful vegetables and salads. Um, and he's one of the recipes I make because people pick it nearly every time, is a lovely recipe he does. It's a red... Um, a red rice and quinoa salad and it has um chopped dried apricots and pistachios and rocket um and then you stir through loads of caramelized onions and it is just oh it's just a winner every single time and you can pair it with so many different things so the most recent party i did um i did some oh what did i do i did a honey soy and ginger side of salmon and then also some paprika oregano sort of portuguese style um chicken skewers and that went with this salad mm. and then we had some greens and it was just really really lovely it sounds beautiful i want to talk about your your new book the grazing table and after years about with working you've worked on so many cookbooks for other people over the years how does it feel to have this cookbook of yours come out now and be so beautiful Oh, I'm I'm just over the moon. And you know what, Dean, I cry a lot about it because I'm just so thrilled with it. Um, I'm just so honoured to, to be able to do it because there are, as you say, there's so many cookbooks out there. Um, but I really felt, as you say, I've worked with worked on lots of cookbooks. I knew that I could do this and I knew I had so many gorgeous recipes that I could could give to this and, and to give to people. Um, so I'm just absolutely thrilled and I look at it all the time um and it's it's just an absolute joy to have and also just to have my recipes because I have them all on every recipe I ever make I have on a big document on my computer but it's so nice because the the recipes in the book sorry I have it right next to me just in case for reference um they they are some of my real favorites so it's so lovely to be like oh yeah that's just on the shelf in the kitchen I just need to remember how much stock goes in this or something and then it's right there and ready to be made again Right now, there's a big zeitgeist with uh, cheese boards and butter boards and a lot of the different types of things you're making right now. And it's funny because, I, I, you know, we don't have anything like this back in like in the 80s or 90s. 
And I, I, I remember the first time I had something like this, I was just like, where the hell has this been all my life? This is really fantastic. Yeah. And some of the things in the book you're doing, I was just like, wow, this is freaking brilliant. This is really like easy, but also like inventive. Can you talk a little bit about the popularity of this and how we have kind of a zeitgeist for this in the moment? Yeah, thank you so much. Um, I think what's brilliant about this, and I'm on, under no illusion, um, that actually boards like this are quite easy to do. And I think that's the real appeal for people is you don't have to slave over the oven for seven hours and plate up loads of different plates. It's easy. You pop it down. It's beautiful. You put it on the table and people I find are the same, if not more appreciative of something like a beautiful cheese board than they are a five course dinner. I and think I, think, so. I think it's just wonderful when growing up in the UK the closest you'd have to this is if you went to a pub and do you know what a plowman's is? Oh, I, yeah. It's one of my favorite things in the world. Perfect. You'd have a plowman's and that was the best you were going to get. You'd get a big hunk of cheddar and it would be lovely um, and some crackers and some apple and some celery. But as you say, that was it. You didn't, you didn't get anything better than that. Um, and it's so lovely. And I think people have realized that these the, the boards like this charcuterie boards and butter and cheese are really approachable and actually achievable for people people have got busy lives we've got families we've got friends we've got things going on all the time but if you can take your time buying some beautiful ingredients just laying them out really nicely it saves you a lot of time and it's just as satisfying so i think we've just really sort of found it now that we sort of we don't have to do all that fancy cooking and we can just give people what they want which is just lots of lovely nibbles of delicious things and it's just so fun to share things with people and it's so neat to see people go oh i've never had this cheese before it's really fun and it's just exciting to see people kind of ooh and ah about different things i want to ask you what are your some of your go-to's when you're doing a cheese board yourself what are some of your favorite things some of my favorite cheeses yeah well that is a that is a big question because I am just a cheese obsessive, actually. And uh, I'm very lucky to live in the UK because we have wonderful cheeses, but oh, also yeah. to live so close to Europe. Um, well, to yeah, to live so close to, to France and to Italy and, and all the wonderful places. So, oh, it's so hard because growing up, we did not, we didn't have a huge selection, I think, sort of in the 90s, there wasn't a huge selection. So coming to sort of being a grown-up and being able to have whichever cheese I'd like is is quite a daunting task. Um, there is a wonderful um, British cheese that I love called Tunworth. Um, it's a soft cheese. It's sort of like a camembert or a brie, but in a British style. That's absolutely delicious. Um, a hard cheese I love is called Lincolnshire Poacher. It's sort of like a cheddar um, in its sort of uh, hard sort of um, cow's sheep, uh, cow's, cow's milk form. There we go. Um, but then also give me a manchego any day because a manchego with a bit of quince, um, that would be absolutely lovely. But I literally, you can't go wrong. I have I have at least 10 cheeses in my fridge at all times. Um, and we, we don't live sort of a huge distance from France and one thing that is so lovely to do which I don't do enough I wish I did more is um you can get the train from Dover um yeah. into, uh, into Calais 
and they have these huge, huge supermarkets and everyone just goes and fills up the car with cheese and wine and bread and then goes home again. And I think <laughs> it's just so lovely. And we went with some friends last year and our friends found, they're marvellous, they found a fridge that you can plug into the car. Oh, yeah. We bought a whole oh, yeah, that's fridge. Right. Um, and, and just loaded it up with, with meats and cheeses and um, bought sort of tons and tons of wine. And, oh, you can't go wrong because the cheese aisles in French supermarkets are unreal. And there are just hundreds and hundreds of varieties. And I've never, I've never had a cheese I didn't like. I want to ask you, um, there was something in your um, book that was a revelation for me, and I think will be for a lot of people. It's dessert boards. Can you talk about that a little bit? Oh, yes. See, I think this is a real one that maybe people just sort of haven't thought of, is even if you're doing maybe a, a big dinner for someone or, or you're doing not necessarily a board for your sort of main course, is bringing out a board at the end. I The, the joy in all these boards is people get to make what they want. And I think that really excites people. They don't have to put any effort in, but they just get to make a plate for themselves. Make that a dessert board. And I have, I've had full success with everyone I've ever given a dessert board to, um, because it's just so exciting. The favorite one, one of my favorites in the book is the eclair board. Um, And the cream and you can have, oh, well, you can just do anything. And the icings and the chocolate and you can't go wrong. It's absolutely delicious. And I would, not that I would ever choose to skip dinner, but I would go just straight for the eclair board. Absolutely. I mean, so much of this book is so much fun. I bet you had a fun time um, getting a chance to uh, write it and, you know, kind of make, create the look to it. And it's so beautiful too. I mean, what did you think when you first saw the book? Oh, I just cried and cried and cried. It was so wonderful. Um because it is really lovely. I worked with such a brilliant team, a photographer that I know really well and a prop stylist who's just wonderful. Um, so it's only, it's, it's a sum of parts of so many people that have made it so beautiful. Um, and, and I'm so grateful to them, but I'm just so thrilled to, to be able to have a representation of my work. And I, I wish that I could do it all over again because it was so lovely, lovely to style and, and lovely to think about. So Natalie, what's next for you? Oh gosh, let's hope lots of good things. (laughs) Um, So I'm still food styling, uh, currently writing um, a few cookbooks for other people at the moment, because I do do that as well, sort of some ghost writing here and there, um, which is always lovely as well. Um, And hopefully just a lot more private chefing, because I absolutely love that. A friend of mine who lives locally has just come back off maternity leave and she um, she's also a chef, so we're hoping to sort of do some big parties or weddings or or something close by to us soon. So fingers crossed and just lots more cheese. Natalie, I want to wish you good luck with the book. I don't think you're going to need it. It's a gorgeous book. Now, I want to let my listeners know the grazing table is available uh, through retail outlets and at all better bookstores. We have a link in the bio for you to purchase it. Natalie, thank you for being on the podcast. I've had a really lovely time talking to you. Thank you so much, Dean. It has been an absolute joy. Thank you. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. 
Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. That was my conversation with Natalie Thompson. Her book, The Grazing Table, is available. We have a link in the bio. You can get it through all major outlets as well as all better bookstores. Again, I want to mention that if uh, you're going to be entertaining at all this holiday season, you're going to want to get this book. Also, this book makes a magnificent uh, gift, especially for newlyweds or people that are young that are just starting out and wanting to think of things uh, to, you know, to do to, to entertain people. It's just really, really fun. You're going to have a great time with this. Trust me on this one. Now, tomorrow, we're going to have some guests on that are going to kind of be in the same vein. Uh, they're they are Carrie Jones and John McCarthy, locals, uh, and their book is Every Cocktail Has a Twist. Master 25 Classic Drinks and Craft More Than 200 Variations. A wonderful book. You're going to want to be here tomorrow to listen to that one, too. And that book's going to be out as well. Until tomorrow, I hope that you're having a really wonderful beginning to your week. And until then, I guess I'll see you at the library. <laughs>